it was just an incredible five hours. Like I, I thought I'd really struggle. The training was gruesome, grueling, but the five hours of actually doing the marathon with Uluru, I mean, it's a very special place and so spiritual, was just incredible. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another exciting guest, another travel professional. I mean, it's most memorable journeys after all. So, of course, I have people that I talk to who travel. This one has a lot to, to tell us, also to teach us. Rebecca Thomas is a sabbatical coach. And I think many of you are going to want to know more about that because, to be honest, I hadn't heard it before either. And uh, definitely something very, very interesting, maybe not, maybe new for me, but not for you. And she does a lot of other stuff, and we are going to find out everything about her. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and um, I want to just go right in. How did it start? When did you start traveling? I started traveling um, just after university, actually. So as a family, we didn't really travel. Um, my father's family were all in Wales. We were, we're, we're from the UK. So our summer holidays and everything was, you know, sort of based in the UK or sometimes France, but that was it. So really hadn't done a lot of travel. Um, after university, so I was, what, 22, I did the normal, you know, um, rite of passage through Asia and Australia and did the East Coast of Asia backpacking with two girlfriends, New Zealand into America and then back home. Um, and that really was it. I remember vividly standing um, in Bangkok on a bridge overlooking this mayhem of, you know, colourful taxis and tuk-tuks and the noise and everything. And I think from that day, I was just hooked. And I still have a really fond memory of, of Bangkok for that reason. Um, I know lots of people sort of stick here, but as as much as I can spend there, if I can stop over, I do, because it's got a fun place in my heart. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Because, you know, things like that, we never traveled when I was a child and I managed to sort of get to London when I was 16 from Zurich to London, which was like an hour and 20 minutes flight. And that flight just changed my life. And and being in London, mm -hmm. that, you know, just London from it's it's not you traveled, at least you traveled around the world for <laughs> me. It was just going to London and understanding that I grew up in this tiny village, understanding that there's a world out there that needs to be discovered. So Thailand has a has a has a special place in your heart. Did you travel any more Thailand or, or mostly Bangkok? No, we've been back subsequently. So the original backpacking journey, yes, we traveled lots around it. Probably the only bit we hadn't done is um, the north and Chiang Mai. And mm -hmm. then um, we've been back, of course, we, uh, well, not of course, but we had the opportunity to emigrate to Australia later in life. So um, in 2011. And so obviously Asia is close to Australia. So we did quite a lot from Australia. It was a great place to halfway. So meet people from the UK um, and do that halfway house. So we've, we've been back to Thailand. It was also quite a good stopover as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Bangkok. So yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? I was from a very small town, beautiful town, a tourist town. So we had a lot of people coming in and I would work in hospitality and meet lots of different people from, you know, other countries and other places. But 
like you, small town, um, had never really, you know, explored. And then that that totally changed my life and opened up, I suppose, possibilities and opportunity. Yes. And I think that um, once this travel, travel bug bites you, it, it just never ends because, you know, sometimes me, what happened to me during COVID was like, I was sort of a little bit, it slowed me down. I mean, I'm not that young anymore. You know, it slowed me down. And I, and I, when I started traveling again, when we were like going to Switzerland or short distance, I had this thing. I felt like, I think I've lost my zest. You know, I've lost my zest for travel. Mm. And I went to, where did I go? I don't know where I went, but it came back even more because uh, we have to make up for all we've lost during the times. Where were you during COVID? We were in Sydney. So we had, and it, it's interesting you you say that, I have never been nervous sat on a plane. I've never had anxiety traveling or anything like that. But the first flight I took after COVID, I, I was super nervous. I was an anxious traveler. I kept thinking these, you know, almost just hyper thinking and overthinking. And I'd never been like that. It's totally gone now. It was only that flight. But yeah, it was... um it, it's interesting. I think your comfort zone kind of shrinked through COVID. We were in Sydney. It was, um, I don't know, I was. I feel very privileged. We lived a great life in COVID, or I certainly loved. Um, we were in a very beautiful part of the world. We weren't restricted to an hour outside. We could be outside for as long as possible. So we had the National Park on our doorstep. So we did a lot of hiking. We had the northern beaches, so all of um, the beaches up Sydney's north, north sort of northern beaches area, which are just stunning and beautiful. And you could go to a different beach and walk and swim. Um, so we were really lucky. We also it was it was my 40th birthday through COVID, and I, as I said, we had emigrated to Australia. So we had loved ones in Australia, loved ones in the UK, and we also have a property in France. And so what I dreamt up for my 40th birthday was to have a party in each of what I call home. So I wanted a party in Sydney with all my favorite people. I wanted a party in the UK and then a party in France. Anyway, obviously COVID put a stop to that. So my husband and I were like, okay, well, what can we do? The borders were closed. Even our state border was closed. So we were only, we were confined to New South Wales. And we thought, well, let's just, you know, hit the road and go. And so we explored, we took three weeks, maybe three and a half actually, and explored New South Wales. And oh my goodness, I would never have done that because it's on your doorstep. But we were, you know, we went through opal mines that were just fascinating. We went up to Broken Hill, so the mining town, literally on these red dirt roads, the only car for hours and hours. Uh, so such a adventure and um a real sort of sense of exploring which we wouldn't we wouldn't have done if it wasn't for covid well that's called making the best of every situation isn't it and from what i heard before we started recording you're doing that in other ways as well because you were telling me that you spent the the the, the australian winters in france and the european winters in australia so you you have a whole year of summer we is do that- we do we yeah we're very lucky we um we couldn't really decide whether we wanted to sort of sell up everything in the UK and, and move to Sydney for good. I think my husband, hand on heart, would have done, but I just, I, I couldn't. There's too many favourite people in the UK that I was, you know, just, I, I wanted 
part of that, but I knew I didn't want to live there. So back in, I think it was 2015, we took a sabbatical. So we took six weeks, um, sorry, six months of work. And it was actually not a sabbatical. It was an unpaid career break. So we were um, privileged in the sense that both of our companies allowed us to take that unpaid time off and come back to our, our same roles. Um, and the intention there really was to land on what the next chapter looked like and what we wanted to to do, where we wanted to be, who we wanted to spend it with. And we spent a proportion of time in the UK to sort of feel the waters out there. We spent a proportion of time at our derelict barn in France to really work out whether we wanted to continue with that, whether that was part of the dream or whether we would sell that and, and sort of put it to bed. Um, and then we also spent some time traveling as well, just the two of us to really discuss, talk, you know, take the time to really dream what the next chapter could look like. It was very obvious after a couple of weeks in the UK that neither of us wanted to live there full time um, and go back and, and um, recreate that life. But some of our favorite people are there. So um, we came to France and fell back in love with our derelict rural property and, and thought, yeah, you know, we want this to be part of our future. It's also close enough to the UK that all our favorite people can easily come to France. And actually, at the moment, we've got um, six camping in the field. So, you know, that, that has come to fruition. And then, obviously, we loved Sydney and, and love Australia. So we, whilst we were traveling, we sort of really discussed what we wanted out of, of the next chapter. And we landed on the fact that we wanted a life full of all of our favorite people. We both hate winter and hate the cold. And even Sydney gets, you know, cold and has winter. So we were like, if we could live a endless summer, that would be ideal. And so we landed on that basically and, and trying to make that happen. So we went back to Sydney. I remember sitting with a couple of beers overlooking Sydney Harbour and us making a plan to then almost reverse engineer you know, how long it would take us, how much money we needed, what what we needed to do to be able to get there. Um, and we landed on a five-year plan and put that into practice. And 18 months ago, we sort of exited, you know, full-time normal corporate life and now, yeah, spend an endless summer with our favorite people. Fantastic. And that really, really shows once more that life is what you make of it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you absolutely. are you. I want to before I got get into the uh, sabbatical coach or the coaching per se. Um, I read something else when I was uh, going through your your website. You also climbed Kilimanjaro. I did. Yeah, we. And this is another, I suppose, memorable journey. And I think probably where this all started. Um, so the backpacking trip was where my love for travel started and where that real zest, as you say, the travel bug, you know, mm -hmm. bit me. But the Kilimanjaro trip was a real marker in the sand for me. And it was the first time that I had sort of intentionally and responsibly traveled. So one of my best friends just randomly on a plane on the way to a sales conference for work said to me, do you fancy climbing Kilimanjaro? I've always fancied it. I said, oh, and always one for, you know, a bit of a challenge. I said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And I used to, and still do, 
raise money for motor neuron disease. It's the um, charity very close to my heart. So I said, well, I'd like to do it, but I'd like to do it for, for charity and raise money. And so she said, yeah, okay, great. Anyway, we started to plan and, and look at things. And I, previous to this, as I say, hadn't really been overly intentional about where I book, who I book with. Um, but she was and really introduced me to responsible travel and you know authentic travel and so her what she wanted out of it is she wanted to book with a local company that had a story and that she really connected with the story and so we did a lot of research and obviously time difference between Sydney and um and Tanzania was challenging language can be challenging so it was definitely a harder longer process than you know one I'd normally just gone online and click and booked but we climbed with a company called Kilimanjaro Heroes and they were legendary like just they made the whole trip it was incredible and they were two guys who basically had come from nothing and set up locally this this um this company but they also had a charity attached to it called Starlight um the Children's Starlight Foundation which was around giving you know tr- children that had no prospects, uh, a, um, a sort of route in life and supporting them. So it was just a beautiful story. We had an amazing time. We uh, raised uh, a fair bit of money for motor neuron disease. But from that, I started a travel blog called Community Back Pocket. And since that moment, I have all been about advocating against tourism leakage. And so what tourism leakage is, is it is the phenomenon of money leaking out of the community to international sources. So say, for example, you know, climbing Kilimanjaro with an American firm where the profits and everything go back to America rather than the local, um, you know, Tanzanian community and, and Moshi itself. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, incredible moment we subsequently i have climbed the great wall of china um with a a local company and raising money for for ms uh we've also i also did the uluru marathon so 42 kilometers round um uluru and raised money for for motor neuron disease and and ms so it it was a, a real sort of game changer that you know that moment of climbing kilimanjaro Wow. I was a tour guide when I was young and I actually climbed Uluru. We didn't at the time, you know, it was in 1989. It wasn't... uh protected and we just it was mm-hmm. just everybody just did that that we didn't I mean I, I have probably have to apologize today for what we did but we didn't know so uh, because now it's a safer place and uh, nobody goes nobody's allowed to go up there anymore. No absolutely we when I traveled to Australia in 2002 we had that we were given the whole um, story behind it and still given the option but we were educated before we you know, sort of were allowed to go up it. I chose not to go up it. Yeah. But yeah. um but now yeah, no, it's it's yeah. you're not allowed and, to climb. Yeah. It. But the thing is, you know, then that's such a long time and we we just did not know. So you don't I, know. No. No, and uh but I have actually been up there. But I never realized that is it forty two kilometers around? It's it's far. It's, it's no, far. I don't think I don't think it is. And actually the marathon route sort of was below it. And so it was always almost in our eyesight, but it was it was at um, sunrise, 
So it was in July, so it was the the winter. Um, so it was a perfect sort of, I'd say, 16, 17 degree day, very light drizzle. Um, it was cool and the sunrise was utterly magnificent. It was just an incredible five hours. Like I I thought I'd really struggle. The training was gruesome, grueling, but the five hours of actually doing the marathon with Uluru, I mean, it's a very special place and so spiritual, was just incredible. And very magical. And and how it changes color whenever, you know, depending on the sun, depending on the time of the day, when the sun rises and then when the sun is up and then when the sun's up, it's beautiful. I totally agree. I, I am in love with that place as well. Now, what is a sabbatical coach? So I coach people through taking a sabbatical and really making it count. And, and ensuring that it's intentional and they get what they need out of it. And when we're talking about sabbaticals, you know, career breaks come into that, right? I think, you know, it's one in the same. Um, sabbaticals tend to be paid for by the company and shorter, whereas career breaks, I think, can, you know, vary. But essentially, my niche is coaching individuals that are taking a sacred period of time off work for an intentional reason. But um, do you tell them, do these people who come to see you, do they know where they want to go or do they, are they asking you to advise them where they could go? How, how, what's the, what happens mostly? It's an interesting question because some of them think they know where they want to go, but when we dig a little bit, it might not be what best serves them at that time. So I have, it, it's almost coaching in three components so pre-sabbatical and really the lead up and those in you know individuals will either not have any idea you know where they want to go and so what we'll do is explore why they want to take the sabbatical how they want to feel what they want to get out of it and that will then lead to what they do and where they go on the sabbatical um interestingly I've had a client who um, I worked with where they absolutely thought they knew what they wanted to do and um, it was pretty mainstream and I suppose what a lot of people uh, have done or, or had advised them to do. But once we really dug into how they wanted to feel and what they needed, it was actually the wrong thing. So um, I don't advise very much. It comes from the individual. But by asking the right questions, this lady was like, this is so wrong. This is, you know, actually, it's not what I need. It, it's not what I want. I think it's just what society mm -hmm. and, and sort of, you know, has, has led me to. So she totally changed plans. Um, and, you know, then there are those that come and do know loosely. I've had another um, client who similarly to me is from the UK and had come to a bit of a career crossroads and a crossroads in whether Australia was for her or the UK was for her, um, knew that she wanted to go back to the UK to, to sort of, you know, explore some things and spend time with family. Also had quite a lot of family commitments in a, in a small period of time, like weddings and christenings and things. So I wanted to be there for that. So, you know, it's a real range, but that's the pre there's then the during, um, and I coach people through what they do on their sabbatical. So whether that be, um, you know, activities or exercises to really support them in getting the best out of the sabbatical 
or whether that be as an accountability partner or a bit of a check-in that's during. And then I think where the magic happens is the integration. So the after, the post, the sabbatical. And that's where a lot of people come back, go back to work within a week or two weeks. It's a distant memory and they've forgotten about it. And actually the magic is when you don't forget about it, you've got what you need out of it, and then you integrate it into day-to-day life post that. And you can therefore create, you know, much much um, more balanced future version of yourself. Wow, very interesting. Um, I was just thinking uh, the one thing that I know and I have experienced myself when I was young, when you have problems, whatever problems you had, I had a very big, um, you know, low self-esteem when I started being a tour guide. I, and I have learned one thing that when you have a problem with yourself, no matter where you go, you take that problem with you. So, uh, you know, you can go to the most beautiful place or you can go to the most fun place and you can be partying all night and and whatever. But when you have this thing, and I think many people who do go on sabbaticals sometimes need to work on themselves first. Is that also maybe part of the preparation? Yeah, absolutely. And the during and the post, you know, yes. A lot of people have come to the realization of of taking a sabbatical for a reason. And so, you know, that could be everything from some some piece of trauma happening in their life or burnout at work or, you know, falling out of love with their their role and their career and coming at a career crossroads. So there's always a more fragile piece of the puzzle as well as um just, you know, yeah, where where and where and what. Have you experienced people who took a sabbatical and then went back to work and realized that this is not what they want to do anymore? Oh, yes. And even before they go back to work. So, um, and, and interestingly, that is where I think the integration piece comes in around then the self-reflection. So, I, I mean, I have had, I've had somebody who quit whilst they were on their career break um and and just realized that actually no you know that it's it's not right and it's not the right thing to do and then yes absolutely um people that come back and then decide it's it's not the right thing for them and to be honest i i mean i i took 3 years to to quit but it certainly i'd started to think about it my sabbatical was the catalyst really you know so I, I knew when I went on my sabbatical, it was around, do I want to be in Australia or the UK? Not around whether do I want to be in this role. But when I came back and I was back in the business and in the role, the sabbatical was the catalyst that made me start thinking, I don't know whether this is what I want. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of the time I think people, it's, it's taking that time to stop and reflect. And once you also then start to do that inner work that you've spoken around and really look internally, it's fascinating how much we just fall into things and, and life takes over and you know you don't realize that four years have passed and you're in actually a role that doesn't serve you. Yes, exactly. I mean, when you look at the majority of people who just work, 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 you know, get those few weeks a year that they manage to get away and takes them at least a week to de-stress. And by the time they the holiday is over, the stress starts again. And they never really have time to look at, at what's happening in their lives. And then 
because of all the stress and because of the, sometimes they get sick and, and they yeah. actually never have time to enjoy all the things that they worked for. So do you recommend that people should take a sabbatical? Oh, absolutely. Changed my life. <laughs> Um, but I also think everybody's everybody's an individual. So I think um, the question more so is, you know, when should you take a, a sabbatical? Uh, I, I also have ha been approached by people who I also, you know, feel as though I can't help yet. So for and, and normally this is trauma related or or burnout. And if somebody is you know, so burnt out that actually it's almost verging on they need medical support or then then that's where I sort of say, look, I think maybe it's it's get better first um, or seek, you know, sort of professional help first and then we we could work together. But yeah, I think it, it's more a question of when rather than should everybody. I, I think everybody should take a sabbatical. And I also think... There, there are a lot of benefits and a lot of research around how it benefits the employer. Oh, you know, yeah. so from, yeah. So from a, a perspective of, um, of course, decreasing the you know risk of burnout. Of course, from coming back with innovative and creative ideas and being refreshed, and so many leadership skills that we can hone from a travel perspective or from you know studying or doing something different so it's it's a benefit to both employer and employee even though i believe that there may be people who would be afraid to go because of you know somebody else may take their post somebody else may may you know take their limelight so um not everybody dares i think that is also uh, 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 somebody who, who who has the courage to take a sabbatical should really do it mm. Yeah, I think fear is a big one that holds people back. And I think that's, as you've suggested, fear from in that employee perspective, but also just in life of totally. you know, the fear of the unknown or the fear of leaving a partner for a period of time or a fear of just, you know, it's almost opening Pandora's box in a way, isn't it? You know, you kind of, if you're okay, but you know things could be better, if you open that box, there's no putting it back in. My, my, my phrase is like, fear keeps you in the comfort zone and the comfort zone is the place where your dreams go to die. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because uh, so true. it is, it is. And it's so the dream graveyard. <laughs> yes. And there are so many things about fear, you know, I mean, that's another story. That's another, that could be another podcast, mm -hmm. but you know, like, like the, the, the news and, and news uh, headlines are there to spread fear. So, so, uh, I don't know, chemical companies can sell uh, tranquilizers or that, that, Let's let's not go in there. Let's stay in the happy sabbatical place. <laughs> but uh, so we're, the time is already advancing, but we've got a little more time. Your company is called Feel Good Getaways. Is that that's your business? That's where you work from, and you are mobile. People can find you anywhere. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent mobile. I work all, all through the year. Um, and and from wherever, so it's it's wonderful. I, you know, my husband and I spent seven months in Malaysia, um, seven months, seven weeks in Malaysia this year, coming back from Australia to France. Uh, and I just wake up super early and get all of my work done, 
and then we go off exploring you know sort of after lunch so it's it's super flexible and I can do it from where, wherever I'm very very lucky that is fantastic we're going to put the um the link for feel good getaways in the show notes and what else is there to come is it going to be um Sydney uh, and France or are there any other where have you not been yet or, or what are your dreams for the future when it comes to traveling there's so many it's such a big world isn't it we tend not to plan too far in advance so it's very much around in the moment of okay how do we feel now where do we want to go we we were late going back to australia last year because we we actually it was a very mild winter here and we had uh, five weeks in crete which was just stunning and beautiful and we had it was a multi-generational family over there so i think my dreams would be more of those we had such an amazing multi-generational holiday where we had my mum and dad were consistent for five weeks, but we had like a brother and his family come in. We had aunties and uncles sort of drop in for had this big villa and people just dropped in. So I, I think that would be, you know, to do that continuously once a year or so. And and then, as I say, it was a mild winter. So we lit the fire here and continued work here and to it, to a point where it got horrific. And we said, right, OK, press eject. How do we want to feel? Do we want to travel before we get back to Australia? And we were like, no, we just want to be back. We want to be back with our favourite people in Australia in the sun. So we just booked to go back to Australia. And then we travelled when we came back from Oz to France. So it's a big world, isn't it? It is. And there is so much to see. And and sometimes I feel like, when am I going to do all this? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Tell me, do you have a permanent place when you go to Australia or do you rent or or do you like because I know you have a place in France yes so um in Australia no we don't probably my biggest regret we should have bought in in Oz but we either stay with friends and rent a room or we rent you know Airbnb um or you know we've, we've got a network of people so it's people might know of somewhere coming up that we rent you never know it's never too late you can still buy you know yeah yeah, there yeah. is. You never know what happens in life. Any other tips that you would give to somebody, like somebody who is listening to us now and maybe never thought about a sabbatical, never even, you know, is is in this in this rut and going to work and and how how would you start it? How would you start planning it if you were in this in this position? You'd be, or you were probably in this position, working all the time and never thought of that sabbatical. And how, how would you encourage somebody to start the whole process? I think my encouragement would be around setting a small amount of time. If you know, if you can't and don't feel as though you have a lot of time to be able to plan it, but really look at boundaries and set aside a small amount of time to just start exploring the options and exploring the possibility and really opening that reference pool around what's possible. I think for me, it was listening to a lot of different people's stories and hearing what other people had done that gave me the motivation and, you know, the inspiration to take the plunge and and do it. So I think it's it's about even if you start with 10 minutes a week or half an hour a week over your coffee um I'm a I'm a great lover of James Clear Atomic Habits 
and he talks about habit stacking. So, you know, if you don't feel you've got the time or you, you know, are finding it difficult to build a new habit, just literally latch one on to something else. So when you're having your coffee, half an hour, 15 minutes and just start exploring the options. That is a fantastic tip. And that's, I, somebody told me that because I was sort of doing something and I was overwhelmed. And she said to me, you don't have to do everything at once. Just send one email a day, you know, or like what you're saying, mm-hmm. sit with a coffee once a day. And I didn't know you call that habit stacking. Yeah. James Clear is a great guy to follow. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he, one of his, um, you know, pieces of advice and how to create good habits is around habit stacking. I have never heard of him and I wrote that down because I'm going to look him up because that is one thing that is so important in our lives is habits because uh, yep. they rule, they rule the day, they rule our lives. The subconscious mind, the habits in our subconscious minds are are in charge. 95% Absolutely. to do is driven by the subconscious mind. Now we're coming to the end, but I have one last question. What is the most beautiful place in the world? I don't think there is one. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I just, you know, I think it's it, for people, for travelers. You can't say that, can you? There are so many. There are so many. The northern beaches of Sydney, I have to say, are having traveled to so many different places and so many beaches. I don't think you can find better. I remember being in Rio and somebody, you know, before I went to Rio saying, oh my goodness, Ipapina um, Beach and, you know, oh, it's amazing. And I mean, it was incredible and it is beautiful, but I remember swimming out to sea and looking back and thinking, oh God, I'm not sure that's very beautiful. <laughs> um, you know, the beaches around France are stunning. But the northern beaches in Sydney is just something else. And there are the sunrise. I'm a real sunrise person. Mm-hmm. And the sunrises over the water are just magical. So I think for me, that would probably be one of the most beautiful if we were talking coastal and beaches. Wonderful. And uh, I think that concludes this uh, podcast episode. Thank you so much for being our most memorable journeys, Rebecca Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Elizabeth. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.